Welcome to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. Are you willing to step into your greatness? Are you ready to shine? Well, get ready, truth seeker. You're in for an amazing ride. And now, here's the host of the show, Christine Blasdale. Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. And today you're in for a big treat, my, my beautiful listeners and viewers on YouTube. My very special guest today is Coot Blackson, and he is a best-selling author and transformational speaker and um, a, a gentleman who is really taking the world by storm. I've seen some of your videos. I love your energy and I love your message. And I think it's so important right now that people hear what you have to say, and especially about the magic of surrender. And we're going to talk about near-death experiences and all of that. Uh-huh. But welcome to the show, Coot. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um. I said just right before we started recording, I said, I'm, I'm very excited talking about the magic of surrender. And I think that this is something that a lot of people kind of maybe have a hard time around the concept, yeah. but, yeah. Um, but some of the best things in life come when we surrender. Is that not true? I think all of the best things in life happen when we surrender. Mostly. Yes. <laughs> and I think if you think about many of the best things that have happened in our lives, most of them, we didn't plan. They just kind of unfolded in the process of living. And maybe we were going one way and just life unfolded another way. And even when it seemed like it was the worst thing, it turned out to be the best thing. That breakup that we thought was the worst thing, that if it didn't happen, we wouldn't be with our person today. And so um, I really feel that surrender is the most important thing that we can do as human beings. I feel it's part of the purpose why we're here. And I feel that surrender is the, the password for freedom the key to our next level, the real secret to manifestation. So we can go deeper into surrender, but that, oh, we're going to go deep, my friend. We're going to go deep. Um, you know, there's a, it reminds me of a scene. It was the movie about Joan of Arc. And I think Mila Jovovich played uh, Joan. And the, there's a very famous um, director who was working, who was f- filming this, this movie. I can't remember his name now. Everybody's probably telling me the name in, in radio land and in podcast land, but there's a scene where um, she's going up a, like a ladder, going up a ladder to, uh, on a very, very high wall. And as she's going up, she gets struck with, I believe it's like an arrow or something that she gets, she gets hit and she has her armor on and everything. And there's just this moment where she realizes that she's hit and she falls backward and the shot is the camera is over her as she's free falling backward. Right. And it's not just the scene and imagining Joan of Arc, you know, having that happen, but it was the filmmaker and the actress had said that she had absolute faith in the filmmaker, in the director. And at that moment, cause she didn't lose eye contact with the camera. So she's free falling backwards and just looking directly at the camera. And it's one of the most magical moments that, I, that I've seen in cinematography. And that's sort of the, the feeling, because I've had near-death experiences. I've had those moments of surrender as well. And that's the feeling, is that the, the universe, God, love, whatever you want to call it or name it, will catch you. And not only catch you, but take you to the place that you really need to be. Let's talk a bit about your surrender and um and a little bit of your life story i think that you you have a beautiful story uh, about your father and how he was going to set you up on one path of life and how your life radically changed from that Mm. moment on can you talk about that yeah i was born in ghana west africa so my father was from, from ghana my mother's japanese i grew up in london and for me i always had a felt a deep compassion for people. I was a very sensitive kid. And so there was a part of me that always felt the sense of wanting to alleviate people's suffering in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And yeah, my first memories, like with my father as a boy, was I remember being lost in the crowd in Ghana, West Africa, and seeing this man, my father, um, walking and this crippled woman 
literally picks up the sand he walks on and wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of, out of wheelchairs. And, and he'd look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, you're not sick, stand up. And miracles would happen. And so I grew up seeing this. And so when I was age eight, uh, my father built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, and had hundreds of thousands of followers, a huge church in London, about, you know, 5,000 5, followers at, at, at the height every Sunday. And he was a metaphysical, spiritual, mystical type of guy, you know, and very deep, spiritually wise soul. And so when I was age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. I was just thrown into the audience one day. My father said, speak, unbeknownst to me. That began my speaking career. And then when I was 14, to reference what you were saying, uh, my father just decided. My father and I, I loved him. I looked up to him, but we weren't close. And he was a very old school kind of guy. And so he just decided one day to announce to the congregation that my son is taking over my ministry and he is my successor. And everyone was excited and elated. And I was in complete shock and and because uh, we didn't speak about it. And everyone was excited but me. And I thought I should be excited. But I knew in my being, in my soul, that something wasn't aligned. I knew in my being, in my gut, and my soul, that something wasn't, this wasn't my path. This wasn't my soul's purpose. It wasn't my expression and destiny that my life was basically planned and scripted out for me and so that feeling when your heart sinks where you know something's not true and yet as a young boy I was too afraid to speak my truth and I think like many of us we allow fear to hijack us from expressing who we are being who we are being authentic the fear of if you know who I really am you you won't love me and so for me as a 14 year old kid I thought if I dared to be who I am and speak my truth, then I'm going to lose my father. I'm going to lose my community. I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to be alone. My life is over. And so I said nothing. And it took me about four years of deep soul searching and crying and letting go and surrendering and internal conflict to come to the point when I was 18 of um, basically feeling like I had no choice my soul was pulling me to go in a completely different direction. Sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't convenient. And sometimes what your soul guides you to do isn't what you most expect. But I really believe through experience that when you follow your soul and when you don't compromise and you follow that deep, profound wisdom and guidance, you will always end up in the right place, even though the route that you take may not be the one that you most expect. And so um, I felt my soul calling me to, America. I felt my soul calling me to Southern California. I felt my soul calling me to specifically to Los Angeles because as a young kid, I sneak into my father's office and there were literally 2000 books on his bookshelf and all of them, uh, Eastern mystics of people like Krishnamurti and Osho to Western mystics like Gurdjieff and Uspensky to Wayne Dyer, Louis Hay, Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra. They all lived in Southern California. So I thought this is the Mecca for this stuff. And and I thought, wow, there is a different way to impact people. It doesn't have to be through religion or a structure or organization. And so my soul was pulling me so strong. And I kind of thought maybe I'm crazy, but I couldn't deny it. And when I looked into the other path, I saw that I could be successful by the world standards, age 20, age 30, age 40. I projected into my future, take over my father's church. But I felt my heart sink, this deep sense of self-betrayal that if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my integrity, if I compromise, if I start lying to myself now about who I am, I'm going to have to live this lie for the rest of my life. And the pain, it felt like a soul suicide. The pain felt so deep that I knew what I had to do. And in a nutshell, I, had to have, I knew I had to have the conversation with my father, which I did told him I'm not taking over, which was the most scary and terrifying thing for me at the time. Sometimes people think that when you find your purpose, um, it's all roses and unicorns and violins, you know, when the angels are floating. Sometimes when you find your true purpose, it's freaking hell. Sometimes when you find your purpose, that's when the darkness and that's when the real challenges begin. Not because you're on the wrong path. And I think many times 
we mistakenly start questioning and doubting ourselves, thinking we're on the wrong path. Like, did I make a mistake? And then we turn back and we, you know, we retreat. And, and I think sometimes those challenges are really soul tests that we have to go through and grow through in order to develop the mental, emotional, spiritual, psychological muscle so that we can become the person who is capable of fulfilling the potential of that vision. And so I felt like my life fell apart and had the conversation. My father and I, we didn't speak for two years, which was deeply heartbreaking and challenging, but I knew what I had to do. And long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery, the DV1 green card lottery, American government gives away 55,000 green cards. At, there's at not least a at lot that of the green, there's not and a lot to go around. I think I met one person that won it you know, <laughs> on the planet. And, and so I won this green card and that gave me confirmation that I was on the right path. That gave me confirmation that I was being guided by something that was deeper than my ego and my mind. And even though I wasn't totally conscious of what it was, I just felt like, yes, this is the confirmation. So I ended up leaving the church, coming to as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid, coming to Los Angeles, landed in Venice Beach when Venice Beach was crazy, you know, 20-some years ago, and uh, knew no one, $800 in my pocket, two suitcases, just following, following my soul. And I didn't realize in that moment that I was practicing living surrender. In, in my own way. But that, that, that began my journey. Then I went and found mentors and teachers and many of the authors I'd read about, studied with some of them, then ended up traveling to places like Israel, studying with some rabbis, um, Thailand, studying with monks, ended up in India. And it was really my time in India that transformed me and cracked me open to a deeper reality, a deeper nature of my own self. And that's when I came back and started to work with people one-on-one -on -one and coaching. And it just evolved from there. Oh, that's, that's so beautiful. And, you know, what you were talking about when you had to have that conversation with your father, I, I, of course, flashed back to having to have a conversation with my father, a very uncomfortable conversation, mm. but um, it had to be done. Yes. You know, it was something that has, has to, to be, be done. It has, has to, to be, be done. And once that conversation happened and it didn't matter how he reacted Mm -hmm. It didn't matter. It didn't matter how he reacted. It was that I had, I felt the courage to sit and to speak my truth to mm -hmm. my father and look him in the eyes, which was, which just, those dynamics of, you know, of a, of a child and a parrot um, mm -hmm. is, can be kind of scary sometimes. But once that conversation happened, it was as if a, a boulder that had been on my, around my neck um, was lifted. Yeah. And I felt free and I felt lighter than, and also I, f I forgave him for, for, for not, um, you know, for, for not saying those things back to me that I really would have loved to have heard, mm -hmm. but I forgave him in that same moment. And it, mm -hmm. and it was freedom. It was absolute freedom. Mm -hmm. So I understand what it's like to have those uncomfortable. Now, after those few mm -hmm. years, were you able to, was the, did he communicate with you or was he? Yeah, what was interesting was I was in the US following my dream, right? And uh, I didn't realize that I was filled with, I really didn't know. I was filled with anger towards my father for not supporting me, not being what I wanted him to be. And I felt so, so abandoned, really. And so uh, rejected at my core for, for, for who I am and that, that he didn't really see me and everyone else has the support. And, um, Long story short, again, I, I, I went to this men's which Basically, I remember what happened is my first girlfriend at 19 said, you know, could I think I, you, you might have a little anger towards your father. And, and my response was, thank you very much. This relationship is over. <laughs> that just ended. And then I fell in love again. And, and this time I thought, oh, this is the one. And so I thought, I have to make this work. And she says, sure enough, I think you might have a bit of anger towards your father. I thought, I don't want to, to let this one go. And so that... That set me on a deep sort of therapeutic path of healing. And I ended up in this men's weekend, you know, guys running through the freaking forest, beating our chests and getting in touch with our masculinity. And um, it was in that weekend, though, that I, I processed a lot of anger towards my father. And as you mentioned, I, I forgave him. You know, I realized that he was what he was. And he did the best he could do based on literally his conditioning and 
in a sense, he couldn't help himself. You know, this is what he was. And, and so I, re I really got to this point of just acknowledging how much I love him. And doesn't matter what he is or what he isn't. Doesn't matter what he gives me or what he doesn't. I love him. And, and, and when I really accepted him for what he was and just forgave him, um, there was such a freedom, not for him, but for me. And, and I saw that it was so many of us, we wait for the other person to make amends. We wait for the other, other person to show up and apologize. And we live in sometimes, you know, rightly, we, we live in a kind of righteousness about our position. And it just doesn't free us. And so I realized that to truly be free and, and get complete with someone has nothing to do with the other person. For me, it was about my relationship with my father within myself. And when I really saw that nothing was worth my freedom, nothing was worth my freedom. And I really forgave my father literally within one week, maybe less, but within one week of that, that, that weekend, the men's weekend, uh, my father picked up the phone. And I got a phone call from my father out of the blue. And he said, all he said was, son, I just think we need to talk. And that's what began the, the mending of a relationship and the healing of a relationship. And he had no idea what I'd been through. And, and that's what began a slow healing of the relationship. And so, yeah, it, it, was, it was really, really, really profound that when that's we shift beautiful. inside, um, it shifts everything. It has the potential to shift the other person, or at least it has the potential to shift how we relate to the other person within ourselves. And to me, that's, that's the freedom. Well, and especially since as children, and despite what our, our parents are or do, how imperfect they are, um, as children, we, we instinctively know that we're part, you know, I'm part my mom and I'm part my dad. Good, different, you know, mm. bad and different. But that's why I know um, when, when children are um, in a family of divorce, and this is, I'm, and I'm speaking to, to people right now, if you're a parent and you are in a divorce, um, be you know, open and honest and beautiful with your children, but realize that that child identifies with you and the other parent. And so it's really important um, what you say to that child about the other parent. I know because I was, I, I, that's what happened to me. Um, my, my mother, my mother's side of the family never spoke bad about my dad. Never, even though she could have. And later in life, when I was an adult, she told me all of these things. And I was like, wow, OK. Um, but the other side was true with my with my father was, you know, he would speak ill of my mom or my, you know, my dad's side of the family would speak ill of my mom. But what happened is that they don't realize is that it's not the child is not saying, oh, that person outside of me, it's them as well. So when you say oh, um, you know, so-and-so is a lousy this or that or dumb or whatever. Um, you're actually saying that to your child. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know you, you know, as an adult, you can separate the two. But as a child, even if the child is estranged from that parent, they're, they're thinking that you're, you, you don't like them, yeah. that you're disappointed in them. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to be careful of the words that we use, the, ch the choosing of the words, the spelling, so to speak, as you know, yeah. as a speaker, what you speak is very powerful. And mm -hmm. what we say to children is like, holy moly, it's magnified. Yes. So um, that's, that's something that's really Im important. Um, could I, I wanted to, um, you had something that I think some of our listeners and our viewers on YouTube can relate to, and I know I can relate to, but you had um, a near-death experience that was quite um, magical in its own. Can you share that story with us? Um, I've had a few, depends which one you're speaking to, because I've I had a couple of them. I think, were you um, in India? And there yeah. Was, yes. Well, there were two in India. But <laughs> oh, there was two in India. Well, talk about the most talk about the most memorable one, the one that really comes to your forefront. Your I, look, honestly, they were both memorable. One was in a, one was in a car, and in the middle of nowhere in India, after spending time with this enlightened spiritual guru who was just six, seven days. Me and this guru in his ashram, and and then here I am about to die. And 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 what had happened was I 
we were driving down the street on this one lane highway, nothing but cows and nature all around. And I see this truck coming and it's go, we're going up 200 kilometers an hour. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, there was, there was no way. It, it, we're about to hit. And so I remember in that moment, I saw my entire life just flash in front of me. And everything went into slow motion. And I thought, oh, this is, this is, this is how it ends. And, and uh, it was interesting. Uh, the car spun around. Everything stopped. And then I opened my eyes and I thought, Oh, I'm still here. And so that was a very eye-opening moment that, that got me in touch with the fragility, like really the fragility of each moment, the fragility of life and how life can be gone in a second, you know. And the other time was when I went into the Himalayas and I walked up into the Himalayas and uh, I wanted to go to the source of the Ganges and, and touch the source of where the Ganges flow, the sacred river in India. And... And so I began walking at the base uh, of the Himalayas and started walking up. And the first day I was walking, I started feeling a bit off. And then within an hour of walking, um, I was sick. And within two hours, I was vomiting, diarrhea ring, headache, and, and not sure what was going on because I prided myself as a very you know, athletic, strong guy. And I saw these savvy monks like running up the mountain. And now I'm really judging myself, feeling embarrassed. So I'm you know, working harder, huffing and puffing. And, and literally within a few hours, I was crawling up this mountain. And it ended up taking me nine hours, maybe more to get to maybe 10 hours to get to the top. And two hours in, I thought I was literally going to die. I thought, you know, I had horror stories of being in India. And I thought, maybe I had gone malaria or some, some, something happened. And I literally was hallucinating and seeing things and shaking and diarrhea ring and things were coming out both ways. And um, that made me start reflecting on life and so many regrets I had in terms of my father and my mother and time and, and relationships. And I just started doing a whole life review, crawling up the mountain, feeling like I'm dying and made it to the top of the mountain. I made it into a tent that was at the top of the mountain and was kind of sure I was going to die and went to sleep, woke up the next morning, um, held on to, I couldn't walk. So I held on to a donkey going down the Himalayas and <laughs> literally like this donkey on the edge of the mountain. So my, I had no energy so my head is hanging off. And if I fell, I would have been surely dead. And, and by the time I got down, got into the taxi in the backseat of the taxi progressively as the taxi drove away from the Himalayas I started to feel like magically better I thought what the hell I'm like literally about to die and then I speak to my taxi driver and he's like ah oh, it's just altitude sickness I'm like just altitude sickness and so but it really it was like a plant medicine journey or something that that really got me in touch with with life and death and so from that moment, I have done my best to hold death close, not as a morbid thing, but a reminder that, that like I felt death visited me. And in so many ways as human beings, we avoid death. You know, we resist death. We avoid death. We don't want to talk about death. We're afraid of death. And, and I think the more we, we avoid death and we're afraid of death is the more we avoid life. And there is no life without death and no death without life. And so it made me make death my friend and it made me face death and embrace death. And I would invite everyone as a meditation, you know, as a practice, face your death every day, bring it close. Don't run away from it. Don't avoid it. Smell it, breathe it, look at it and just ask yourself, wow, if I were to die today, would I be ready? And if not, why not? Like what's ungiven, what's unsaid? Because we are all going to that. Jesus died, Buddha died, Bruce Lee died, Mother Teresa died, Muhammad Ali died. If they die, we're going to die. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the only guarantee you're born and you die. And yet we and you pay like, taxes. We, <laughs> we pay taxes. Some do, some don't. Yes. But, you know, if you have crypto, maybe not. But, you know, we live like we're going to live forever. And the truth is tomorrow's not a guarantee. And so I think when we can just 
meditate on death and, and face it and be with it, you know? Um, there's a profound relationship, at least for me, that opened up with life and how sacred it is and how precious it is. And so, like, if death came, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What's ungiven? What's unsaid? What's unexpressed? What's unloved? And to feel, like, feel that, like, truly feel that. Because the people in, let's say, 9-11 or a natural disaster or a random car accident, they had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night and love their, look their loved ones or their kids in the eyes and say, like, I, I really love you, or I'm sorry, or I apologize, or, you know, you mean so much to me. And so I, I invite people to sit with, like, how would you need to live in such a way that if death came, you would have no regrets? And I think so many of us, myself included, we have regrets, you know? And, and one moment when I also really realized this was, in a, in a very simple way, in 2016, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And this is what also inspired the book, The Magic of Surrender. And I got my mother and I were, were like this. We were super, super, super close. She was like, she was my everything, my, my, my heart, my soul, um, the angel in my life that taught me real love, unconditional love. And I started to fly back and forth from Los Angeles to London, literally every month for a week, for a year to be with her. And it was amazing. I got to spend a year with her, which was a privilege. Some people don't get that. And I would be in chemo sessions with my mother, just holding her hand, talking about um, nothing and everything, just talking about like random stuff, like seemingly mundane, ordinary stuff. And we would take walks in the park and we would just sit and have tea and so many things that I hadn't valued because I was so busy trying to like build my career and save the world that I missed these, these ordinary moments of just sitting with my mother, you know? And the, I realized like, why did I wait till she was dying to take the time? Because I thought I had more time. I thought there were more things we could do. And, and so for me, death has, has, has really been a wake up call uh, to realize the preciousness of the moment, you know, and the sacredness of the ordinary, 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 everyday, seemingly mundane moments that really are so sacred, holding my mother's hand, sitting, having a cup of tea. Like in that process, I remember thinking, this could be the last time I see my mother wash the dishes. This could be the last time I see my mother like clean the table. These random things that I just had no, this could be the last time I could just send her a text or a voicemail. You know, these things we take for granted. So I think when we can really hold death close and just accept, I'm going to die. How do I want to die? How do I want to live? And embrace that, it frees us up. Oh, yes. Um, I, I think it's those ordinary moments that are the extraordinary moments when, you know, I know when I had an, I had a near-death experience in, in Costa Rica. And once I had this near-death experience in Costa Rica, my whole view on life changed because at the moment, and again, it was a moment of surrender. It was a moment where I, I was just learning how to I was just learning how to um, boogie board. <laughs> I was and I was in Costa Rica thinking I could boogie board, and I went out and I, I paddled out. And I think it was like my first time, and I remember I was way out, and there was this huge set of waves that were coming in, like huge, and I did not know what to do <laughs> because I was learning. So I I start paddling and I'm going. I'm going to catch this wave, and um. I didn't make it out fast enough. And so what had happened is that literally I was in front of the wave and this massive wave just like picked me up, literally just picked me up. And I think it was, it felt like I was in a empire state building. That's how tall this wave was. And I just remember being lifted up and it's basically backwards. I looked behind me and the, the area was, all of the water had been sucked out because of this, the, the size of the wave. And there was like a rock, like a huge flat rock, the size of my living room that was being exposed. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to fall backwards 
hit my head, break my back, and then be shoved into these all these jagged rocks that are on the cliffside there at the beautiful Costa Rica. And so in that moment, everything stopped. And I don't know if you've had this experience ever, but when life stops, all of a sudden at that moment, I was just hanging on to this boogie board, literally just dangling and everything stopped. And I was for that moment connected to everything. I was connected to the water. I was connected to the birds. I was connected to the soil, the trees, the monkeys, the everything. And it was perhaps the most beautiful feeling I have ever had. There was no disconnection. There was no me and you, you know, there was none of that. It was just, I was connected to everything. And in that moment, I had that bit of surrender where I said, you know what, I, I'm, well, I'm in paradise. I'm in Costa Rica and I feel this beautiful sense of connection to everything. I'm, I'll be okay with that. And it was as if this voice, this thought, whatever that, that thing is, says, are you, are you ready to go? And I said, yeah, I think I am. And I was like 20, 21, 22. And it was like, all of a sudden, okay, there was like a, a carousel of, of all these moments in my life. And they weren't the award-winning things. And it wasn't, you know, when I came out on top, it was just everyday average little things. Me putting my hand in a, in a cookie jar at my grandma's house, you know, um, moments that are not spectacular, but they're everyday moments that have that beautiful essence of who we are and the people that love us as well. So all these little moments just kind of like carousel in front of me. Boom, 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 boom. And then I got an image of what it would be like my mother finding out that I died in Costa Rica. And it was actually, I was shown a, um, like a TV set. Like she, she, she found out on the news and I said, Oh no, 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 that can't happen. That would kill my mom. I would kill my mom's soul because she had um, many years before I was born, lost a child who had hit their head in the bathtub and didn't drown, but from the from that accident had uh, died at a very young age like two years old mm -hmm. and i said she cannot have another child killed in this way um uh, you know and and die no 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 that will just ruin her and it was like this question of okay so are you you sure you sure you don't want to go i was like no no the impact of my death on her i i don't want to happen and then i was given that choice and i was given that thing of, okay, well, if you want to, if you want to come back now, you're going to fight for it. And magically I was put on the precipice of the wave. I was going from backwards underneath it to on top of it. And then I had to fight like hell to get that boogie board from being sucked into the falls. Right. I had a fight to get that out, but, and I did, I managed to do that. And I swam as fast as I could to get out of this massive set of waves. But after that moment, I learned that I wasn't afraid of death. As a matter of fact, that experience of almost dying was beautiful. And it was more beautiful. It was more um, magnificent than life. Sure. And so there was no, there was no fear after that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, do I, of course I don't, I'm not reckless. You know, I don't go drinking and then driving a car, uh, you know, those things. I want to have a beautiful, healthy life while I'm here, but I'm not afraid of death. Mm. And isn't it true? As you were saying, we do everything we can to avoid it. Yeah. We do everything possible. Don't talk about it. Right. All of that. Wow. All right. So this beautiful magic of the of of surrendering and then also allowing ourselves to speak up for our truth and our our destiny i think are really powerful points that were that are being made in in the show today <clears throat> so when you're and i know as someone who who's a speaker as well and in a different in a different format but i know that sometimes when i'm speaking to a crowd or if it's just even something that's online and i'm not seeing the audience i can feel the, the the people that are listening or the people that are watching me speak, I can feel their energy or their questions 
or maybe even it's the troubles, the things that are troubling them at the moment. And I'm able to, to raise awareness to that point or something. When you're speaking, talk about, because I've seen you on, on stage. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Can you explain a little bit or express a little bit about what happens when you're on stage there and when you're talking to, especially to a large group of people, that beautiful magic that happens in that, in that conversation that you have with them? Yeah, I think for me, um, speaking is really the process of getting oneself out of the way. And um, many people speak from the ego or the mind and the identity and the personality. And that is a level of communication. And I don't really consider myself a communicator, even though obviously communication is happening. Um, if anything, when we communicate, we're speaking from a person to another person, from another ego to another ego, which is great. But what I really endeavor to do when I speak is dissolve. And in that this dissolution, it's really a process of just becoming a vessel for the divine, for life, for the universe, whatever people want to believe, for God to flow through. And, and in that dissolution, for me, there is the experience that there is no me or you. There is no me or another. There is no speak, speaker or spoken to. And there is just oneness. And in that oneness, then everything that is spoken and arising and the speaking and the hearing is really happening from the one source and the same place. And so um, it's really for me an experience that it's just, it's happening. You know, it, it's, it's happening through me. It's happening. And there is no audience and there is no me. There's just one. And to me, that is communion. And so it's an experience of communion uh, because there is no audience or one separate from me in that, uh, in that process. And so, you know, for me, part of my prayer before I speak is just God, universe, use me. Use me as a vessel for the highest expression and unfolding of to speak whatever needs to be said. And, and, and so I think the more we can get ourselves out of the way, the more we're spoken through and the more magic happens. So again, I think speaking is really a process of surrender and the degree to which we can surrender is the degree to which magic happens, even in the communicating, even in the speaking. And so, you know, as a kid, I would, my father had these churches and, and, and we lived literally in, an, in a small apartment attached to the church in London. And so I would sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night with the lights off and in the darkness. And I would just stand in front of the empty chairs in the darkness and give, give talks, give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining people around the world. And so in that sense, I, like the first time I ever spoke, I don't really remember what was spoken. Um, and in that it felt like it wasn't really coming from me. And so it becomes a process of witnessing. And, and for me, I think sometimes people get nervous because they're so like, oh, how will I be perceived? And, you know, what will people think? And will I do it right? Will I be perfect? And will I say it right? Will I remember my words? And, and I think if, if one is able to shift their focus from oneself ness to purely being of service, truly being of service, then it shifts everything. Um, it opens up the channel. And for me, speaking isn't about saying the right words. Um, speaking is, is more about, because to me, the words just are an excuse for the vibration of one's consciousness. The words are just the vessel, the vehicle to carry the, 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 the state of one's consciousness that is transmitted through the words. 
and the words of the vehicle that transmit one's intention and consciousness. So on some level, I'm saying, it's going to sound a little extreme, but it doesn't even really matter what you say. Yes. <laughs> you could even, you know, drop yes. in and read from a phone book and yes. there's a resonance and an energy of silence that is transmitted. The silence of your being, the silence of your soul, the silence of, of love that is transmitted that the audience will feel because what I found through years of speaking is many times the audience won't remember what the hell you said, you know, all the clever things that you came up with, the seven steps, yep. seven this, seven that formula, <laughs> paradigm, blah, 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 blah. But they will remember the resonance and the transmission of energy and love and frequency that will stick inside of them and move them. And maybe they'll remember a story or two, but, but, but the, 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 what they really take away is the feeling and the essence and the resonance. And that is the invisible. And so I think, um, if someone wants to be a great speaker, forget about because you know, there's a lot, lot, lot of trainings stand this way, speak this way. Yeah. I mean, it's all great, but I think at a certain point that we have to throw all of that stuff out. Yeah, master it, but throw it out and just let your soul speak and come through you. And I think that's when the magic happens. And that's really when I speak, all I endeavor to do is just be be a vessel for whatever needs to be said for the highest service of everybody. That's, that's the, that's the key, isn't it as well? Getting your ego out of the way. Um, you're getting your needs and your, um, Oh, the ego, the ego has, has a, has a challenge with us as well, because we are so, we are so worried about how, what will people think about what I'm wearing and how do I look and how will I be perceived <laughs> and all of that. And you said something that was so key and it's something that I didn't even realize looking back at my career either being in radio for 20 years and then podcasting and all of that great stuff. Um, and this was before ever doing anything on video. Um, but people will remember how you made them feel. Again, they may not remember exact words that you used, or you might have some beautiful words that you use and, you know, and, and they're powerful. And those pauses that you have when someone's speaking to you about something really grand or, or an obstacle that they've overcome in their life, and you take that pause to actually listen to them, that's powerful. And that's why yeah, I love it. radio and I love podcasting because you don't see the person, but you feel them. You, you, you actually can feel them. And that's, I think, is you just nailed it. It's, it's on how, how people will feel in your intentions. Yeah, that's that. That's, that's what resonates. That's what transmits. Yeah. And so it's funny. I went to, you know, I, I love Ted, but I went to Ted, yeah. the actual Ted. <laughs> I did too. The, I like not, them. Not, not TEDx, the actual Ted. And I was there yeah. and all these speakers, dun, 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 you know, live. And, and, and I'll be honest, after a day, I kind of stopped going to the talks. Um, and I don't remember one thing from four days of being in Ted. One idea. Don't remember a thing. Um, but I remember a couple of people that made me feel something, you know, that made me feel a resonance, you know, of something. There was this, this incredible set designer, S. Devlin, who spoke, you know, she designs the sets for like Beyonce and all these people for the music. And I remembered how she made me feel, you know, and, and so um, like the best speech, one of the best speeches I ever went to. Um, two of them, one of them to make a point, the person was so just raw and, you know, unpolished and, and, and like not toastmastery speakery, but it moved me. And that's profound. The other amazing talk or speech I went to was when I spent time in India with a saint, sage, enlightened being. And I sat down with him for six days. He didn't open his mouth for six days. And we sat in silence for six days. The first day I'm like, when is he going to talk? When is he going to talk? When is he going to talk? <laughs> and, 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 and I realized, I don't think he's going to talk. He's not but talking. All of a sudden, the silence speaks. It's the silence. It's the silence. And I think it was Emerson that said, 
who you are speak so loudly that I can't even hear what you're saying. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's the key. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. I could see you just sitting there waiting for him to say something. <laughs> oh, okay. And it is powerful. And, and we're uncomfortable as, as humans too. We're uncomfortable in that silence. We feel like we, you know, need to keep well, the conversation going or say something, a small the, the talk. Ego, the ego is uncomfortable yeah. because in the silence, ego starts to dissolve. We could say in the silence, in the stillness, ego no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And so as human beings, we are so identified with ourselves as this mind, this body, this mechanism, our ideas, our beliefs, our past, our history as this thing right coop thing johnny susie you know it's this 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 mechanism and so the ego's job is to reinforce this existence and make sure we don't get hurt again and to protect us and so one of the ways that the ego reinforces itself is through constant business 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 activity and also constant talking because i'm here i'm here i'm here oh i'm here i can hear myself i'm here i must be here hey hey And, and so um, it, it can feel, the silence can feel scary to the ego, especially when we've been conditioned to believe that we are the ego. And yeah. we think that we're the ego, and we think that the ego is a thing. But when we can realize that the ego is not a thing, but the ego is just a process. It's a process of patterns that we've identified with. It's a process of identification. When we realize that, oh, it's not a thing and I'm not it, then we can kind of relax and just open to silence a bit more. And I think it's in the silence that we can hear our soul. It's in the silence that we can really hear the universe. And it's in the silence that we can really hear a deeper guidance and a deeper truth. And so many of us, we don't tap into the deeper truth because we're not willing to be silent. We're constantly being busy, 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 you know? And so it's the ego that resists surrender because yeah. in surrender and letting go, there is the perception to our identified selves as ego that I'm going to die. That I'm going to be lost. I'm going to I'm die. die. That I, I will no longer exist. And so we resist life. We create drama. We create struggle because at least I, I'm here, even if there's drama around, I'm here, I'm struggling, I'm here. And then we're not open to grace. We're not open to flow. We're not open to the magic. We, we, we want more struggle because we get a sense of being reinforced. And so I think surrendering, even in speaking, in living, I, I really believe it's, it's, it's the password to freedom. It's the key to mm-hmm. our next level. You know, um, all of the great ones, they surrendered themselves. Jesus, yes. Buddha, Mother yeah. Teresa, Gandhi, Bruce Lee, Ma, I mean, Oprah, they all surrendered themselves. And I think in the surrender, they were able to, to, to transcend their own ego limitations. In the transcending of their own ego human limitations, they tapped into another dimension of themselves. Uh, and in that, life was able to use them and life was able to manifest through them and speak through them in ways that I don't think they could have planned and imagined for themselves. Right. Well, I, it, I equate it to being like in a beautiful garden and here we are in like, a, like almost like a sow bug, you know, like a little, um, this, this consciousness that's just here and thinking about all of our past hurts and this person did me wrong. And what am I going to wear tomorrow? And, and what will people think about, you know, this or that, or the car or this or that, but we're, we're in this little ball and, and consume self-consumed also, you know, social media and all of that, but we're still in this little ball. We're not looking, we're not, we're not even seeing that there is a garden all around us. We're, you know, in a, and it can be, it can be a mini hell for some people because they're stuck in the mind, right? They're stuck in the mind. Um, And again, that eco, it, it it does it's 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 screaming out for attention <laughs> so the the subconscious thoughts and even we can be saying you know of course i want to be you know a happy successful person i want to have good relationships and all those things but it's those subconscious thoughts too those things that that 
have been planted in our in our psyche as children imprinted on as as children but we're still in that little ball and not seeing this garden that's all around us and it is truly magic when when you do use when you are able to let the ego go and say and as, as like i said i love what you said earlier to allow whatever is the best whatever is the highest good for all to come through you know and not worry about those other things. Don't worry about who's showing up to your, you know, party. Don't worry about what other people are going to be thinking about you. If you come from your heart, that is so powerful. And your intention is so powerful. People can feel it. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Ah, cute. It's been an absolute pleasure to be with you today. And I would love for, for folks to get uh, more information about you. They can go to coot blackson.com i'll have it in the show notes so you can just click on that link make sure you check it out and anything else that you would like to bring people's awareness to yeah the magic of surrender book is available the paperback is available on amazon if people feel called to maybe go to the next level twice a year i do an event in bali it's called boundless bliss uh, every july and december www.boundlessblissbali.com oh when is this when it's do you December, go? December the 5th through the 16th that oh. is the next one. And we, we dive deep and take people through a process of transforming and surrendering. Uh, well, I might experience. have to join you on one of those excursions. Anytime. We're Anytime. not too far from Bali here in, in Australia. that would be beautiful oh thank you so much good again for for being on the show today and may you continue to to reach and 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 send your beautiful energy and connect with more and more people around the world i i'm very very honored that you came on to the show today um thank you so much and thank you wonderful listeners and of course viewers on youtube um, listeners to the radio show and also the podcast on all the major platforms if you'd like more information about this podcast you can go to out of the box with christine.com if you want more information about me christineblasdale.com as well all those links will be in the show notes as well as the link to coot's book the magic of surrender you can click on that link and get the book and also um his website cootblackson.com thank you again thanks cute thanks so much and thank you wonderful listeners as always i remind you to think outside of that damn box bye for now <laughs>